Hey, you ready for the word? Hey, if you got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 37. Uh, we're going to start at verse 12. We have been in a series called Live the Dream, where we are studying through the life of Joseph. And we, we introduced a couple weeks ago that Joseph has this dream, and then he goes and brings it to his brothers, and he brings it to his father, and there's this whole ordeal. And I talked about the danger of a dream, and how if we're not careful, we'll start to think that our dream, that, that it's our dream, not God's dream, and we'll start to make decisions that are based on us, and that ends up becoming the danger of the dream. And so I want to pick up a little bit today in the story where we left off. Joseph has already shared that dream and dealt with that, and now there's something that's going to happen that I think is so important to talk about when you start talking about dreams. So here we go, Genesis 37. If you've got your Bibles or if you've got it on your phones, if you don't have either, you can read it along on the screen. We'll read it, and then we'll go from there. It says, now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, so that's Joseph's dad, said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, Joseph replied. So then his father said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks. And do me a favor, bring word back to me. So then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron, and when Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields, and he asked him, what are you looking for? Joseph replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are and where they're grazing their flocks at? The man went on to say, they moved on from here. He said, I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So I think they're in Dothan. And so Joseph went after his brothers, and he found them near Dothan. Now here's the part that's interesting. But they saw him in the distance. So they see Joseph coming. And before Joseph reached them, they plotted to kill him. They didn't want to bully him or beat him up or teach him a lesson. They plotted to murder him. All because, and here's what they say, here comes the dreamer. All because he's a dreamer, they plot to kill him. Come now, let's kill him. Let's throw him into one of these cisterns, which, have been, which would have been like a pit, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then, then we'll see what comes of his dreams. I want to talk to you for a moment this morning about dream killers, about the things that are in our life that are trying to kill our dreams, the things that are attacking us that then would say to us, let's see what comes of your dreams. And if you're a dreamer, or if you start to pursue any kind of dream that God has in your life, you can guarantee that there are going to be dream killers. Now, I don't, I don't, naturally see myself as a dream killer. I don't think that's how I come off, you know, negative when someone comes to me with their dream. I like to think I'm a little bit more of a, of a flame fanner, you know, that if somebody comes to me with a dream, I'm a, yeah, man, let's do it. Let's chase it, you know, change the world, you know, kind of mindset. But there have certainly been some times in my life, especially looking back, you know, when my daughter tells me she's going to date and I say, well, you'll date at 50, you know what I mean? Um, killing that dream, you know what I mean? Right off the bat. And so there's been moments, you know, where I've had to kill dreams, but there was one recently, or not, not so much recently, but there was one that happened a while back, and it, it may have been the biggest dream I ever tried to kill. Okay, let me explain. Darla and I were celebrating our three-year marriage anniversary. So we've been married for 16 years? 16 years? I'm so glad you didn't know. Okay, that makes me feel better. 16 years. So about 13, 14 years ago, we're celebrating our three-year anniversary and our honeymoon. We had gone to Orlando and done all the theme parks and stuff. So we're doing that again. And on this particular trip, 
we decided to go to SeaWorld. We, we had never done SeaWorld before, and so we're doing SeaWorld, and we get into that part where the, there's like an orca whale show, if y'all know what I'm talking about, and it's always themed, and it's amazing, and this particular time it was called Believe, and it was all about just believe, you know, think big and wow, and so we go to this show, and it's, it's amazing. There's dolphins jumping up and, you know, killer whales doing all this kind of, and it comes up and slides towards you, you know what I mean? You're like, oh my goodness, it's amazing, I believe. You know, so deal. And so Darla gets so moved by it that once it's over, she goes down to the front to talk to one of the trainers. And she's talking to the trainer about how to become one of these and what to do. And they're telling her, like, it's very doable. And then towards the end, they say, and it's really helpful if you have a degree in psychology, which Darla does. And so she kind of like, oh, yes, like maybe this is like God's dream for my life, right? So we go home, and a couple weeks later, she's obviously thought about it, and she comes back to me, and she's like, hey, babe, I got this idea. I I think I kind of want to move to Orlando and train whales. Now, I don't know how many of y'all have ever had your spouse tell you that, but but here was the first thing I picked up on. She did not mean that we needed to move to Orlando. She just meant she needed to move, right? So I was going to stay home and, you know, work and pay the bills, but she was going to go play with dolphins. That's what she was going to do, you know. (laughs) So I'm processing this, and again, I always try to be very supportive and like, you know what, honey, if that's your dream, then you just, you just need to chase your dream, you know, that, that kind of deal. But I have never secretly wanted to kill a dream so bad in my life than in that moment. I'm like, you can't leave me. We didn't have kids then, but I knew they were coming, you know what I mean? And I was like, we can't, you, I can't even exist without you. Like, it can't happen. But I just wanted, you know, I just wanted to kill that dream. And I think Because God has put a dream in our heart, because there is a dream in you, you have to understand that Satan wants to send out dream killers with their goal of discouraging and disrupting and delaying and even destroying your dream. But here's the thing about dreams. Your dream will be tolerated as long as you keep your dream inside. The moment that you express that dream, The moment that you allow that dream to be open, you then open that dream up to the ability to be criticized or attacked. So, for example, when Joseph comes to his brothers and says, hey, I got this dream, and then he gives this dream, there's an immediate attack on his dream to the point that they take him and they put him in this pit with the idea that they'll leave him there for dead. And then they say, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't leave him there for dead. Maybe we should make some money off of him. So they get him out of the pit, and they sell him into slavery. And then he ends up going into slavery for a man by the name of Potiphar. And while he's there working for him, he starts to experience favor and starts doing kind of good and climbing up the ladder. And then Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of rape. And now he gets put into prison. And now he's in prison instead of his dream. And time goes by and he starts kind of climbing up the ladder again and seeing favor while he's in prison. And then these two guys come in and he he, he gets to interpret their dream. And one of the guys whose dream was favorable says to Joseph, I'm going to remember you. When I get out of here, I'm going to tell Pharaoh about you. He's going to get you out of prison. And then days go by and weeks go by and years go by. And it comes to find out that this guy had forgotten about Joseph. And then eventually, uh, Joseph does get out of prison, but when he gets out of prison, the whole country goes through a famine. And so I'm saying all that to tell you that it seems like every time Joseph started to see a little bit of hope in his dream, every time there was a moment where he was starting to kind of feel like maybe this was going to work out, like, like maybe we're going to actually start to see this thing put in motion, like I know I was in a pit, 
but now I'm starting to see God's favor. Oh, I'm accused, now I'm in prison, but now I'm starting to see God's favor. And every time he began to see a little bit of hope, something would come along and try to kill it. And a lot of times when we're chasing the dream that God has put in our heart, there's moments in our life where just when we think we're about to get control of it, you know, I was telling a friend of mine in the lobby before service, I, I love to get stuff stable. Now, I feel like sometimes just when I get something stable and move on, it falls apart again. And it's just one of those deals where just when I think I'm starting to see a little bit of hope, something comes along and tries to kill it. And with every dream, there are obstacles. And some of us will face physical attack and betrayal like Joseph. But every one of us, every one of us can guarantee that we're going to have to overcome the battle that is mental and spiritual. When it comes to us and our dream, that's the battle that we can guarantee we'll all have to face. And so as I was studying Joseph and as I always try to read his life once a year, I started realizing that a lot of his dream killers are similar to my dream killers. And so I want to bring you the three I see him face, and then I want to do my best to show you how to fight him, all right? So number one, the first dream killer that I see Joseph facing is unmet expectations. I don't know if you've ever dealt with this, but you get this dream in your heart, and you start to kind of put together what you think it is. You know, you start to imagine what you think your dream wedding is going to look like, or your dream job, or your dream marriage, or your dream family, and you kind of develop these expectations, and then you fast forward, and what you're living doesn't look anything like what you expected. In Genesis chapter 37, Joseph is walking to meet his brothers, and you got to remember, he's had this dream about this palace and when his brothers see him, they rip his coat off of him, and they put him in, his, in the pit to die. So Joseph has this dream of the palace, but where he is is he's stuck in a pit. And what we have to understand is this. Anytime that we pursue God's dream for our life, it is not an if, it's when. When we pursue God's dream for our life, we will face seasons not the entire time, but we will face seasons, watch this, where, what we, where we thought we would be is not where we've ended up, okay? When you choose to pursue God's dream for your life, you will, everybody say will, will, you will face seasons where where you thought you would be is not where you ended up. And what happens as a result of that is you find yourself confused and frustrated. And it's real easy to become confused and frustrated when you have palace dreams, but pit realities. Okay? When you have these palace dreams, but the truth is, this is your reality. It's so easy to get confused and frustrated. When you saw yourself graduating high school and going to this particular college, and getting this particular degree, and doing this particular career, but that's not the way it's going. When you had pictured this particular marriage, you know, you thought you'd be married by now, or you thought you'd have kids by now, or you thought you'd be further along in your career by now, or you thought you'd be operating in your calling by now, and it's just natural that something has happened where you, this was your dream, and you just assumed that you'd be further along in your dream by now. Even though I told you a couple weeks ago that the time frame from Joseph having his dream to actually seeing his dream was 20 years. But there's something in us 
that thinks that six months into it, 12 months into it, a year and a half into it, if we're not seeing it go like the way we thought it should go, we become frustrated by it. This is what I pictured, but this is what I'm experiencing. What do you do when where you are positioned does not match what you pictured? What do you do when you saw it going like this, but instead it's going like that? And the reason why unmet expectations can be so good at killing our dreams is because as things start to go the way we didn't expect them to go, it will influence us to abandon the path prematurely. Explain to you what I mean by that. God puts a dream in your heart, and you start the journey the best way you know how into pursuing that dream, right? There's no you know, cut dry way to do it. We assume I'm supposed to go school here, do that, volunteer here, work here, talk to her, you know, get his number, whatever it is you're doing. And you're pursuing out this dream. But as long as this dream is not going like the way we expect it to, the temptation for us is to stop, assume it's not God's dream and abandon that path prematurely. And then we miss out on what God had for us to begin with. There would have never, there wouldn't be one person in this room that would judge Joseph had he quit in the pit. Had Joseph in that pit when he's all squeezed up just been like, you know what? I'm done with it. This is silly. It's not what God promised me. I'm out. None of us would have judged Joseph for that. If when he's working for Potiphar and he's walking and operating in this slave mindset, none of us would have been mad at Joseph for saying, you know what? This is not what God showed me. I was supposed to be being bowed down to by my brothers, and now I'm working for this guy. This is not, I quit. Had he quit in the prison? Had he quit after the false accusation? None of us would have been mad at Joseph for quitting because we would have understood that while he was walking out the path, it wasn't looking like we thought it was supposed to look, and so it made sense for Joseph to leave. But when you study the entire life of Joseph, See, what we have with Joseph that we don't have with ourselves is we can see the entire picture right here. We can see both the beginning and the end, and we're all still in the middle of ours. But when you read his whole story, here's what you begin to learn, that without the pit, there's no Egypt. That without Egypt, there's no Potiphar. Without Potiphar, there's no false accusation. Without false accusation, there's no prison. Without prison, there's no Pharaoh's right-hand men coming and asking for the interpreting of dreams. Without the interpreting of dreams, when the time comes that Pharaoh dreams, nobody's asking Joseph to come interpret his dreams. If there's no interpreting of dreams, there's no Pharaoh. If there's no Pharaoh, then there's no opportunity for him to get out of prison and become the prime minister of Egypt. And if he's not the prime minister of Egypt, his family dies. You see that? We started with the pit. That would have been enough for most of us to quit. But without the pit, this doesn't happen. If this doesn't happen, this doesn't happen. If this doesn't happen, this doesn't happen. And as you follow out the journey at the end, if this doesn't happen, his family dies. So you say, wait a minute. Has God got this journey of torture planned out for me to be able to get to my dream? No. It's the process of life. But God is with you through the process. And so God uses the bad, remember Joseph said it at the end, God uses the bad 
for good and gets us to where we're supposed to go despite the unmet expectations. It's important for us to not get confused and think that where we are, our current destination, is our destiny. Where you are, where God has you right now, is not the finished place. And so you have to trust God along the way, even when he's doing things that we don't understand, even when things are going not the way we expected it. So the first dream killer that Joseph, anybody with me this morning? Y'all with me? I'm talking to the right crowd? Okay, good. I just thought I'd like get on a couch and bear you my issues and minister to you. First is unmet expectations. The second is unfair circumstances. Now, it's going to come up on the screen in Scripture, but I want to just kind of briefly explain it all to you what happens. Joseph starts working for Potiphar, and the Bible says that Joseph is a handsome man. He's a good-looking man. And so there's moments where Joseph's wife, I'm sorry, Potiphar's wife is trying to come on to Joseph, but Joseph is a man of integrity, and so he doesn't give in to it. In fact, there's a part in the Bible where it says that they are by themselves, and she makes a move on Joseph, and instead of Joseph giving in, Joseph takes off running. So when Joseph takes off running, she grabs onto Joseph's cloak, and when she grabs onto Joseph's cloak, he just runs out of his cloak, and she's standing there holding his cloak, and all of a sudden she has an idea, so she screams and security comes and she says that man tried to do something to me and I screamed and he took off and he left his cloak and that begins the false accusation and then Potiphar comes home and puts Joseph in prison so when I read that here was what I saw Joseph did everything right and it still went wrong right like like there's nothing Joseph did to deserve what he got he did everything right, even to the point of when she was probably like, ooh, you look good. You know, I see your muscles. He was like, stop talking to me. Get behind me, Satan. You know what I mean? Like, he was so good. He was so good. And it still went wrong. And I don't know about you, but sometimes in our culture, we can be so good, and it still goes so wrong, right? We can just feel like we're really doing what we're supposed to be doing, but it's still not going the way that we thought it was supposed to be going, and the reason for that is when sin entered the world, I've told you this before, when sin entered the world, so did pain, so did heartbreak, so did unfairness, so did offense. God didn't ask for these things, but when sin entered the world, all of these things came in with it, and it just happens, but God uses it. But just because you have a dream in your heart, just because God has given you a dream to pursue, it does not mean that you're exempt from the hardships of life. It's not the case. I wish it was. I'd love to tell you that, man, as soon as you come apart of Victory Church, no more struggle. Woo! It's not the truth. The truth is, is that, matter of fact, um, can I let you in on a secret? You're probably going to struggle more. Because the enemy's mad because you're pursuing God. So now there's even more coming at you that's unfair, right? And here, here's what I want you to understand. Wrap all this up in this sentence. We will all have to, say have to, have to. We will all have to endure seasons of what feels like a senseless attack. What feels like senseless pain, and senseless frustration. Did I, God, did I really have to go through that? 
It just doesn't seem like it even made sense. But we will all have to face those seasons. But listen, God is not using that trouble to destroy our dream. He's using the trouble to develop it. I've shared this story before, but I know not everybody's heard it, and it really, really brings home this point. Both my kids are dreamers. Um, my, my littlest, Casey Ray, seven now, she, she's more of an exaggerating dreamer, right? Because she hasn't experienced life enough yet to kill her dreams. And so she's still, you know, she's still kind of a crazy dreamer. And so one day we're sitting there talking, and she says, uh, she says, Daddy, tonight for dinner I want Sonic. And I was like, well, I'm not buying you Sonic tonight. You know, Daddy can't afford it. And, you know, I mean, it's five bucks, but I just didn't want to pay for it, right? I just asked somebody. So that's when you're like, we can't afford it. And so I said, you know, you can pay for it. And she says, well, I don't have any money. I said, well, there we are. You know what I mean? Like, life, welcome to life. It is what it is. So she gets this bright idea. She runs upstairs to her room, and she's coming back down the stairs, and she's got like four or five little ratty, dirty-looking toys in her hand. And she's coming down the stairs, and I'm like, what are you doing? And she said, I'm going to set up a yard sale in our, in our front yard. It's very true. And I'm going to make the money to be able to buy Sonic. Now, listen, the reason she even knows about yard sales is because our little townhome community does yard sales like once or twice a year, all right? So she's seen them. We, we come home, and she'll see people set up, and people are driving through. And so she knows what a yard sale is. So that's where she got the idea. Here's the problem. We are not currently in yard sale season at this moment, okay? This is not, it's cold outside. People are not doing yard sales. And just so you know, it's like two o'clock in the afternoon, all right? So there's just, there's just no chance this is going to work. And so I just start, I'm not happy about this, but I just start killing her dream. I mean, I'm talking like beating her dream to death, okay? I'm like, look, it ain't gonna happen. I said, there's nobody else. Nobody knows, nobody knows a garage sale's happening. It's two o'clock, people are at work. Nobody's gonna take off work and come over here to buy one of your little dirty, ratty toys. Like, it's just not going to happen, you know? And then on top of that, her toys were like, I was like, what are you going to sell them for? And she was like, I don't know, 25 cents. And I was like, if you sold every toy in your hand, you'd have like $1.50, you know what I mean? Like, you still can't afford Sonic. And so I'm already going like, okay, if she somehow sells anything, you know, we'll give her $4 if she makes a dollar, like whatever, just, you know, it is what it is. But I'm trying everything I can to kill this dream. And here's why. I want to kill this dream for two reasons. Number one, I don't want her feelings to get hurt. You know what I mean? I don't want her to be out there and nobody come to her yard sale. Now she got to tell daddy about it. Number two, I'm probably going to have to clean it up, right? And I don't feel like cleaning it up. So I'm just trying to kill the dream. Just be honest. Y'all can minister and counsel me later, but that's just where it was. <laughs> So time comes, I got to go to a meeting, so I hop in the car, I leave, I'm out for about two or three hours, I come back home, and as I'm pulling into the driveway, there's nothing in our driveway, and I was like, oh, man, that stinks, like, man, you know, she finally gave up, like, nobody bought anything, and she just, you know, threw her hands up in the air, wrapped it up, I got to go in and console her, you know, so I come in the door, ready to tell her about the problems in life, and how sometimes, you know, miracles just don't happen, and sometimes your dreams are just going to fall on deaf ears, and I'm sorry, kid, life happens, and as I walk in, she comes running up to me, she goes, dad, 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 look, and she's swinging a $20 bill, <laughs> and I'm like, what? And she's like, I got $20. And she ran, runs off. $20 from the yard sale and runs off. And I assume we're $20 poor. You know what I mean? That, that's what I assume. So I go to the kitchen to find out why are we, you know, doing this to our children. And I'm like, what happened? And Darla goes, well, here's what happened. She said, it was this grandma that was driving through our neighborhood. 
and she saw Casey in the driveway, and so she rolled down her window and asked her what she was doing. And Casey Ray told her how she was selling some of her toys so she could make some money to buy Sonic. And then the grandma said, you know what? I got some grandkids that would like that particular toy. How much do you want for it? To which Casey Ray then said, a quarter. And that woman then handed her a $20 bill and, get this, said, keep the change. <laughs> it's 2022, y'all. We're in the middle of inflation. That's $19.75. Like, what happened? Like, that, that's when I get mad at God. Like, for real, God, you're going to let that old woman drive through my neighborhood. Had I set up a yard sale, nobody's coming through the neighborhood. But she doesn't. Now she got $20 making Dad look like an idiot. You know what I'm talking about? And won't even buy me Sonic. You know what I mean? But it, but it made me think about this. When the enemy is trying to kill our dreams... He loves to trigger our emotions. He loves to go after whatever he can do to make us mad, whatever he can do to offend us, whatever he can do to make us feel like nobody's with us. It's always after our emotions because he knows, and I was telling some friends this recently, that right now in our culture, we are the most emotionally immature people. Like that when something happens, we don't know how to react. And so we just immediately throw our hands up in the air and quit if somebody doesn't treat us right, if somebody doesn't agree with us, if somebody's not behind what we're talking about. And we become so emotionally immature that we don't know how to handle situations emotionally. And so when it comes to our dream, it makes sense. The devil would say, I'm going after their emotions. If I can make them feel offended, if I can make them feel done like they've been done wrong, if I can make them feel like nobody's supporting them, then they will give up on their dream. Nobody's mad if Joseph or Casey Ray gets all up in their feelings. If Casey stomps up, boom, slams the door and starts crying, nobody's mad. It makes sense. Your dad just killed your dream. You know what I mean? Your heart's broken. Like, it makes sense. But she didn't do that. Seven years old, she looked at me and said, watch this. <laughs> Set up everything and made $20. Listen to me. Life is unfair. Things are going to happen to you that should not happen to you. You are going to be done wrong. You are going to be let down. You're going to be offended. Your heart's going to be broken. You're going to be emotionally scarred, and a lot of times by people that you thought were for you. That's life. It happens. What we cannot do is allow those emotions to stop us from pursuing our dream. We have to understand that circumstances don't have the last word. Other people do not have the last word. Offenses do not have the last word. God does. He has the last word. So despite what you're going through, despite what's happened to you, despite how unfair you think it is, God is still in control. He knew it was coming. He saw it was coming. And guess what? He's for you. That's the important part. What I did not take into consideration with my seven-year-old is God is for her. And I think he was like, watch this, punk. I don't think he calls me punk, but I just thought it would be fun. To... He's for her. So he dealt with unmet expectations. He dealt with unfair circumstances. And then lastly... I think he felt with the feeling of being forgotten. 
when you go to Genesis chapter 40, verse 23, this is the part of the story where the chief cup, the chief cupbearer, excuse me, you know, has asked him to interpret his dream, and Joseph has interpreted his dream, and it was favorable of him. He was going to be reinstated, and he says to Joseph, I'm going to remember you, and when I get up there with Pharaoh, I'm going to tell Pharaoh about you, and we're going to get you up out of this prison. And then verse 23 gives you his reality. It says the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember, and he forgot him. And so here's Joseph. In this prison, y'all, y'all, you gotta, you got to really catch this story. How many ups and downs has Joseph had? How many moments of hope has he had that then fell apart? And now here he is in this prison thinking, all right, it's finally going to work for me. This guy's going to go tell Pharaoh about me and I'm going to get out of prison. And every day goes by and a week goes by and months go by and years go by. And he realizes once again, I've been forgotten. And it just, as I'm reading that, and as I'm processing where Joseph is and what Joseph's been through, and I'm processing and comparing it to my life, I couldn't help but think this. Did Joseph ever feel like just giving up? You know what I mean? Like, was there ever a moment where Joseph was just like, you know what? This is for the birds. Like, I know God said this, but it's not happening. So either God lied or, or maybe I didn't quite understand God correctly. But you know what? I'm just, I'm just done. Like, was there ever this moment that because of all of the loneliness that he had felt between the pit and the palace and the prison, was there ever this moment where he's like, I I think God has forgotten me? I started thinking about this. Because he interprets the dreams of the other guys and they come true, I started thinking if he had that comparison issue. You know what I mean? Where, oh, you gave them their dream, but you didn't give me mine. Like, you gave me a dream of a family, but yet somehow my friend got one. You know what I mean? You gave me a dream of a relationship, and somehow they got one. You gave me the dream of this career and this calling. Somehow they got it. And if there was ever a moment where Joseph's watching their dream come true, standing in 20 years of waiting for his dream, and going, God, did you forget about me? I prayed just as much as they did. I probably prayed more. Did you just forget about me? And as I started kind of assessing these dream killers, okay, there's unmet expectations, you know, which is all about me and what my expectations are to begin with. And there's unfair circumstances, which is all about me because, you know, was it fair or unfair is really my decision. And Then there's this feeling of being forgotten, which is honestly me, because, you know, even though I know God is there, I just feel forgotten. And as I started looking at them kind of as a whole, I came to this conclusion that they're all inner issues. (laughs) And then I realized this, that when it comes to my dream, the greatest potential of a dream killer is me. Like, Like, I'm the greatest potential of person to kill my own dream. Because it's all up here. You know what I mean? Like God puts the dream in my heart, and according to Scripture, all of the pieces are in place. I just got to get to them. But the journey, as I'm going from here to here, the problem is here. Because I start going, wait a minute, God, I thought we were going to go left, and now we're going right. I don't know if this is right. 
oh man, this happened to me. I didn't think this was going to happen to me. Or oh, now I feel like you've left me and abandoned me because they got it and this happened. And it's all, it's, this is my biggest problem. I don't know about you. I'm just confessing that the greatest potential to kill my dream is me. And it's right here. So as I'm processing, I'm like, how do I overcome that? How do I, how do I fight back against that? And the Lord reminded me of a few months ago, we were celebrating Darla's birthday. We went to that place. You know, they're like, kind of like paint a twist, paint, paint in a twist. I don't know what I'm talking about. You paint, and it's kind of creative. And we went there, and, and, and so we made the scheduling. And whenever you reserve something, you get your photo. Like, they already tell you what photo you're going to paint. And I had chosen, by accident, honestly, this picture of like a lighthouse. And so I was getting kind of excited. I was like, this looks like a pretty simple painting. It was like black and white. It's like pretty good. So me, Darla, Brian, and Erica, we go to do this to celebrate. And when we get there, they put the painting that you're doing up on the wall. And Erica sees it, and she's like, did you pick the hardest painting in here? And I was like, it's hard? Like now I'm really concerned because I thought it was easy because it was like two colors. But now you're telling me it's difficult. This is going to get ugly because I don't consider myself to be an artist. And so we start the process, and they bring you your little canvas and your paint. We're painting it, getting everything going. And they got an instructor. And the instructor is painting and telling you what to do, all right? So she's painting, all right, now paint this and paint. And you're doing what she's doing, and you know she's an artist. Now, as it's going on, we start, we paint the whole thing black. I'm feeling real confident because that was easy, right? I just stayed in the lines. I was successful. And then we move on into the clouds, and I messed that up. And then we move on. And as it's going, it's looking uglier and uglier and uglier as we go. And I'm starting to get a little bit panicked because it doesn't look like what she has up there doesn't look anything like this, you know, lighthouse picture. But then I started thinking back on it. I was like, but you know what? I never quit. Like, there was a lot of moments where I thought, like, this is not, this is not looking right. But I never quit. And, and why didn't I quit? And there was two reasons I felt like I didn't quit. Number one, it's because I understood that everybody else in the room didn't know what they were doing either. You know, like the instructor did. But nobody else did. Can I let you in on a secret real quick? If you're in here and you're not really sure what's going on with the dream that you have in your heart, can I really help you out? Nobody in this room does. There's a person in here who's like, I've got it all figured out. They are panicking too. Because we're all trying to figure out how to do what we think God's given us. But it's incapable. We're incapable of doing it without him. We're in the process of painting and figuring out, and we're looking, and I don't know. It doesn't look like it, but I'm trusting. The other reason I didn't quit is because I trusted the woman who was instructing us. Because I knew she knew what she was doing. And as long as I'm doing what she's telling me to do, I'm moving in the right direction. Listen to me. The temptation in your mind is to look at where you are and to look at what you saw, right? The little picture that the instructor has up there and start comparing it. This don't look like this, uh-uh. And that lack of connection makes you want to abandon it. But listen, you got to trust the instructor. He knows what he's doing. There's a reason why she had us start with the clouds. I wonder why we didn't just go ahead and do the lighthouse and do the clouds to the side. There's a reason. She's the professional. God, why would you have me come here? Why didn't we just go straight there? He's the professional. And I was confident in what I was doing because I was confident in her. 
In the book of Acts, Luke is writing, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, and he's looking back on the story that is Joseph's story. And Luke says this, watch this. He says, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him, into slave as a, or sold him as a slave into Egypt. Watch this. But God was what? With him. God was with them and rescued him from all of his trouble. God was with him. In every season, God was with him. When he was in the pit, God was with him. When he was working in the palace, God was with him. When she accused him, God was with him. When he was put into prison, God was with him. When he interpreted those dreams, God was with him. When that guy forgot him, God was with him. When he got to the prison, God was with him. Every time I was stroking on that painting, the instructor was with me. No matter where I was, I was good. No matter where you are, you're good. You know why? Because God's hand is on your life. Because God is in charge of getting you from A to B. And you can't think that he doesn't know what he's doing. He's the professional. And he's got the ending result. And if you'll trust him, we will eventually get there. But you have to believe that God is with you. Do me a favor, stand with me. Ben, go ahead and come up here real quick. When, uh, when I was at the paint place and we're painting, I, I've never painted before, just so we're clear. I did like the watercolor stuff you do as a kid, you know what I mean, where it was like one is the number on this circle and two is the number on that circle. But like we got a few women in this church that can really paint and, and I can't paint, okay? But, but we're, we're at the event thing and I just noticed I started doing this thing like out of instinct. I was up real close painting it and I would paint a little bit and do what she said and here's what I would do. I would step back and look at it. You know what I mean? And then I would come back up, paint a little bit. And then I would... <laughs> Brian and Erica started making fun of me. They were like, oh, you, 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 you good now, huh? Like, you're professional now. And I was like, it's not that. Like, I don't even... Am I supposed to do this? I don't know. Like, I just... It just felt natural. Like, I have been... I've been so up close to it for, like, so long that I can't really get a good grasp on it. So to really see how I'm doing, I kind of got to step back a little bit, you know, and see it. And when I can see it, then I can kind of tell, okay, okay. It's kind of looking like a lighthouse. I got you. Like, it's getting there. Okay. And as I was thinking about you and I'm thinking about me and I'm thinking about us trying to pursue our dreams in the midst of unmet expectations and in the midst of unfair circumstances and in the midst of feeling forgotten and everything, this happening, that happening, how do we get control over ourselves? How do we fight back against these dream killers? And I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, you need to step back. You need to step back. You, you've been all up like this on it, <laughs> on Facebook like this, comparing like this, what you expected like this, and it's messed with your ability to see 
what's happening, and you just got to step back for a second. Get a better look at it. Maybe it's not as bad as you thought it was, right? Step back for a second. Maybe it hasn't been as long as you thought it's been. Maybe, just maybe, God's still on the throne. Maybe Jesus is a resurrected king. Maybe there's favor on my life. Maybe there's blessing on my life. But as long as I'm all up here with what everybody else says and everybody else wants, I can't see it. I got to step back a little bit. Okay. Okay. So I'm praying through that. I'm like, all right, God, I can do it. I can step back. But, but when I step back, what am I looking at? Because if I'm just looking at my problems from a distance, let's be honest, they don't really help me much. Like, what am I looking at when I step back? And the Lord gave me this sentence, and I, I found scripture to, to solidify it for you. And I, I want to I say it to you, and then I want to pray it over you. When you step back, here's the first thing you're looking at. God is good. It's factual. He's good. He's a good God. He's good. It says it all throughout scripture, but I picked that song. God is good. Here's the second thing you're looking at when you step back. God loves you. Look, I know if we're not careful, we hear a lot of different things. But let me tell you, and it's all throughout, John 316 is about the easiest one, but it's all throughout scripture. God loves you. So God is good, and he loves you. What does that do to your dream when you step back and realize that he is good and he loves me? But we're not stopping there. Also, when you look back, watch this. He wants the best for me. There's never a moment where God wants the best for you, but not the best for you. Like, God wants the best for everybody. God wants the best for you. He's good. He loves me. He wants the best for me. And here's the part that really sums it all up for me. You ready? And he is faithfully working out the best for me. God's working right now for you. You know why? Because he loves you. And it may not always look like you thought it was going to look, and you may even have moments where you feel like you're being treated unfairly, and maybe even there's moments where you think nobody hears you and maybe you've been forgotten. But listen to me. God is with you. When I became a parent, somebody said to me one time, now that you're a parent, you'll be able to better understand how God sees you. And can I tell you something about being a parent? Those of you that aren't and you're praying to be, those of you that are, those of you that you've been and they're about to leave, let me tell you about one thing that's true. No matter whether you are grounding your child, whether you are spanking their bottom, whether you are buying them Sonic or killing their dream, you're always loving them and working out the best for them. Jalen, you better hear that. They are always working out the best. This is what God is doing, church. And if we can, and I'm telling you right now, it's hard. I'm not telling you it's easy. I'm preaching to myself. Y'all think I write sermons for you. I write them for me, and I just let you listen to them. 
God is for me, and he's working out the best for me. I just got to trust him and keep walking it. He put it in my heart for a reason, and he's going to do it. He's with me. He loves me. He's good, and he's faithful to do what he said he's going to do. Can I pray over you? Father, I thank you right now for your word, for your Holy Spirit, for your presence, for your goodness and mercy that follows us all of our days. And I thank you for those four things that you're affirming in us today, that you are good. Your scripture says it all throughout. You are a good God. And you love us. Come on, some of you just need to tell yourself right now, God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. God, you love us. And you want the best for us. There's not a person in this room that you haven't planned best for. And then, Father, you're working it out. Even in the midst of unmet expectations, you're working. Even in the midst of unfair circumstances, you're working. Even in moments where we feel forgotten, you're working. You are with us, and you are working out the best for us. Never once have you left us. Never once have you forsaken us. Not for a minute, Father. Not for a minute. When all of a sudden things started going the way I didn't think they should go, not for a minute. When I lost the job, not for a minute. When I lost the relationship, not for a minute. When we thought it was going to work this time and it didn't, not for a minute. Not for a minute. Was I forsaken? Father, you are good. You love me. You want the best for me. And you are working out your best for me. Hallelujah, Father. Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. Help us to understand right now. Not for a minute, Father.